for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you've stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review about your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by giving online at believerschurch.tv. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We're located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. I hope everyone is doing well today. Just want to thank you guys so much for being here again. Today is a, is a special day. It is a day that we want to start recognizing. Uh, even though it should be something that we look at all year, there are so many events within the church and on the calendar that we, we have to pay attention to. And the, the cool thing about this is, is that it's not just Believer's Church or churches in Boone's Creek. There are actually churches all over the world that are celebrating the same thing that we are celebrating today. As many of you know, God has many names, 72 to be exact. And we've learned in this series that a name is more than just a name. A name actually in the Hebrew has a lot to do with the essence of a person. We really learned this in part three, which feels like a million years ago, considering how long this series is. It was a lot warmer in part three, but we learned that whenever um, Moses is asking God what his name is, and he says, I am who I am. When we call God Jehovah Jireh, we are literally stating God will provide. So whenever you hear the expression or you see it on a billboard or in someone's yard, you, you see this sometimes, Jehovah Jireh, what we are saying is that God will provide. The origins of this name come from Genesis 22. As Abraham is about to sacrifice his son Isaac, God stops him and offers the ram in the place of Isaac, and then Abraham famously says, this is the God that provides. Now, we still see today that God provides. God provides again and again and again. And my life is a story, and I'm going to give more of a testimonial message in our, in our little Advent two-part series that we do toward the, the end of the year, more of a, a story, testimonial-type message on my part about the places that I've been. But as I was praying this morning, as I often do in, in my little routine when I pull over in the, in the Ingalls parking lot before I get here, I was thinking about God providing in my life over and over again the way that he has. All right, so we're in part nine of a 10-week series titled Out of Egypt, in which we're studying the great exodus of the Israelites, God's people, out of slavery and oppression. We have officially crossed the Red Sea, which leads us deep into the wilderness. How convenient, considering, as some of you have talked to me a little bit more on a personal level, and other people outside of the church that may be listening to this today on a more personal level, that they are in a deep place of wilderness right now in their lives. Your weekly reading was Exodus 16, 17, and 18. And what we're going to do today is we're going to look at a little bit of Exodus chapter 16 and a little bit less of Exodus chapter 17. Now, raise your hand real quick if you've ever complained to God. 
All right, good. Most of us, if your hand's not up, you either don't talk to God or you're a liar. All right? Because most of us, if not all of us, have complained to God at one time or another. I'm very well documented and known for spiritual pity parties. All right, Exodus chapter 16, we're going to look at verses 1 through 10, and then we're going to skip over to chapter 17 and look at verses 1 through 3. So so they're in the wilderness at this point. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to to the Sin Desert, which is located between Elam and Sinai, which is where we'll be next week. They set out on the 15th day of the second month after they had left the land of Egypt. The whole Israelite company, community complained against Moses and Aaron in the desert. The Israelites said to them, Oh, how we wish that the Lord had just put us to death while we were still in the land of Egypt. There we could sit by the pots cooking meat and eat our fill of bread. Instead, you brought us out into this desert to starve this whole assembly to death. Keep in mind, they've just watched God part the waters and cross the Red Sea. This is still very early in the journey, and they're complaining this way. They must have been, you've heard the expression, hangry, you know, when you're hungry and angry. I'm pretty sure that's what was going on. I can't say that I would have been a lot different. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to make bread rain down from the sky for you. The people will go out each day and gather just enough for that day. In this way, I'll test them to see whether or not they are going to follow my instruction. On the sixth day, when they measure out what they have collected, it will be twice as much as what they collected on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, This evening you will know that it was the Lord that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the Lord's glorious presence, because your complaints against the Lord have been heard. Who are we? Why blame us, Moses continued. The Lord will give you meat to eat in the evening and and your fill of bread in the morning because the Lord heard the complaints you made against him. Who are we? Your complaints aren't against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses and Aaron said to the whole Israelite community, come near to the Lord because he has heard your complaints. As Aaron spoke to the whole Israelite community, they turned to look toward the desert, and just then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared in the cloud. Not a cloud, the cloud that we've already been talking about. Chapter 17, verses 1 through 3. Then the whole Israelite community broke camp and set out from the Sin Desert to continue their journey as the Lord commanded. They set up camp at Rephidim, but there was no water. It was food, and now the issue is water for the people to drink. The people argued with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them again, Why are you arguing with me? Why are you testing the Lord? But the people were very thirsty for water there, and they complained to Moses. Why did you bring us out to Egypt to kill us, our children, and our livestock with thirst? So what we are reading today could be considered the fourth and the fifth complaints of the Israelites. There are 14 documented complaints. They complain a lot. But after what we're reading today, this fourth and this fifth complaint, this is when God actually starts to discipline or starts to punish for the complaining. Some of the complaints that they have are going to be familiar with you. All right? I could tell some stories, some, some, some pretty embarrassing stories. I don't know you enough yet. 
all right, to share some of these embarrassing stories. But my wife and my oldest daughter would gladly volunteer about what happens to me whenever I get hungry and the kind of mood that I'm actually in. So they are complaining because they're hungry. They're complaining because they are thirsty. They're going to complain because they say that God is making things worse for me. They don't like the leadership that they're under. They want to go back to their old lifestyle. Sound familiar? This is where a lot of us complain. Well, now I've sacrificed, I've started doing these things to God, uh, for God, but we don't get to take the kind of vacations that we used to take. Our family dynamic is now very different. We used to have all this fun, and now we feel tied to all these things. Other people in the church aren't working as hard as we are working. We seem to be doing all these things, and we're complaining, wanting to go back to our old lifestyle. This should sound very familiar, but despite all of these things, all of this bickering and griping, God continues to provide over and over again. Now, why is it with all the complaining that God continues to provide? Because he made a promise, and he intends on keeping that promise. But this is key right here. God does provide. This is key. But God doesn't always provide in the way that we expect him to predictably provide. So what this means in your life is you go up for the promotion because you know that you're not quite making enough money to take care of your family. And if you can make just a little bit more, then that's going to be an example of God providing. Or if you can marry this particular person or have a relationship with this particular person, that's going to be an example of God providing. When in reality, the things that you care about the most are often the things that are going to hurt you the most. But you can't see this from your frame of reference. You can't see this from the place that you are. So instead, God provides in a way that you never could have imagined that actually fully brings out the essence and personhood of who you were meant to be. You see, we want the genie in the bottle, God, where we just simply rub his belly a little bit and then he grants us wishes. For a lot of you in here, your prayer, at least some of you, that's what your prayer life looks like. You say some of the traditional prayers that you grew up with or some of the prayers that you've heard in church, But the time that you really come to God more than anything else is not a period of gratitude or not at the beginning of the season of Advent when you're expecting his presence to be revealed in your life. No, it's God, I need this. God, I want that. Or some of you, you see God as the the leather chair therapist. He's the therapist. So whenever you come to God, it's, I've really got myself in a mess this time. Or things are really going bad and I don't know exactly how to handle this situation. And I think that the great tragedy that we see is that this is, far, this is as far as a lot of people ever get in a relationship with God. God is someone that you come to whenever you have problems. Give you an example. Sometimes when I need something, I expect God to provide it, as you do, But instead, he withholds it. Now, why in the world would he do that? Because he is providing for a greater need that I never even knew I had. So this is what is going on in the desert. 
The problem that so many people have with a relationship with God and the difficulty that the Israelites are having as they are going into the wilderness is they have a complete false expectation of what God is and how God operates. The reason we have such an issue in the United States of America with Christianity is because of this false, bogus, cultural Christianity that says if we start going to church, if we start trying to be good, all of a sudden all the pieces of our lives are going to fall perfectly into play and we're going to get to marry that person that we wanted to marry. We're going to get to have that perfect career. We're going to get to have that income that we wanted. We're going to get to have those four children. Okay, well, that's wonderful. But what do you say to a mother who is going through infertility? What do you say to a person that is struggling because he's not getting that promotion? What do you say to individuals that are following Jesus with everything in them, but it doesn't appear that God is providing? There's a reality here. And it's a reality we often miss. And it's that God is providing. But God is not providing to make you more of what you want to be. He is providing to make you more of what you were made to be. And there is a very, very big difference in those two things. So what you need to understand this morning is that the life that you are called toward And the life that the Israelites were called toward, this journey in the wilderness, all the expectations they had of freedom whenever they were leaving, the way that this was supposed to look, the joy that they were supposed to experience, having all these wonderful things, that wasn't part of the story. That was part of their story. That was part of the way they mapped it out. You see, the reality is that some of you have went through incredibly difficult divorces, or maybe you're single And you're never going to get married. The truth is that some of you started on the bottom in your company and you want to be the CEO or you want to continue to climb. But you are never going to climb as high as you could. You see, one thing I think that God told me or or, or showed to me earlier in ministry was, was that I was never supposed to be a pastor of a really large church. And the reason for that, at least as I, when I was a little bit younger, was because my ego could have never handled something like that. Some of the things that you want and desire the most will push you so far from what a relationship with God is supposed to look like. So I'm going to say what I said a few minutes ago one more time. Sometimes when I need something, I expect God to provide it, but instead he withholds it. Because he is providing for me a greater need that I never even knew I had. This leads to two important points about God's providing that the Israelites had to learn. All right, And this is something that you have to learn about the provision of God. Providing involves a process and providing involves a person, a purpose. So you may be thinking that that, that you don't see this God that provides because you wanted this kind of car. You wanted to get into this college. You expected your wayward child that continues to make mistake after mistake after mistake to be back into the fold by now. And you can't understand why God is not providing 
in the exact same way that the Israelites could not understand why God was not providing. You see, 14 complaints is a lot. Eventually, God is going to get fed up after the fifth and sixth with these complaints. And the reason they continue to complain is because they've never really understood up to this point what the provision and the providing actually accomplishes. And the point that I'm trying to make to you is that whenever we look at God providing in our lives, listen, just because, and and this kills me, and I'm not going to get on the soapbox with this, I'm just going to just briefly uh, mention this, okay? A lot of times someone will get a new car, a new home, They'll finish first in a competition, and then they'll do the hashtag blessed. As if, you know, God wanted you to have that brand new car. God wanted you to be in first place with this thing. And there's nothing wrong with being in first place. There's nothing wrong with owning a new car. But the way that we understand God providing is often deeply, deeply misguided. And you're going to understand that a little bit today. So, this, so the providing involves a process and it involves a purpose. The process is the journey that you have to go through to understand God's provision. The purpose is realized at the destination. When you look back and say, oh, well that made sense. I now understood why it took us five years to have a child. Well that makes sense. I now understood why when I wanted that particular thing, God withheld it from me. So we're talking about maturity. We're talking about depth. We're talking about greater understanding. A process and a purpose. A process and a purpose. You'll never look at the provision of God or God providing in a different way or the same way. Providing involves a process. I would call everything about life with God a process. All right, so we discussed the origins of Jehovah-Jireh in Genesis. Provide in in Hebrew also means see to it, which is similar to the name Hagar that we know of in Genesis. In Genesis 16, 13, she refers to God as the God who sees. So for those of you who are struggling, those of you who are questioning, does God really provide? Hagar refers to God as the God who sees. The first time God speaks to someone in the Old Testament, a woman, an Egyptian, minority, and a slave. All right, this is the way that our God works. His Hebrew word also means perceive and experience. So when God provides for the Israelites, he simply isn't giving the goods. All right. When we talk about the manna, or we talk about the meat, or we talk about the water, he simply isn't providing the goods. It's an unfolding of the person that's actually happening through the process. So what's happening through the process when God is providing is you are learning deeper and deeper and deeper trust in God. Take every situation in your life, if you've been a Christian long enough, take every situation in your life in which you really wanted something, And God withheld it. But maybe three or four years down the road, or maybe even just six months down the road, you received that thing, and then you understood why you would have ruined that thing had you received it when you actually wanted it. That's how the process works. 
And what happens 100% of the time is you're developing deeper and deeper and deeper trust in God. You see, the problem with a superficial form of providing is that if you ask something of God and God gives it to you and you thank him and praise him, but then the next time you ask something of him and he doesn't give it to you, where does that put you? It puts you in a very difficult situation. So when God provides, it's not about you getting what you want. It's about you becoming what you need to be. And you see, we are all products of a world that craves the immediate. And that is why this process is so difficult. We crave the immediate. So whenever we pray and whenever we talk about God providing, we need an immediate pill, an immediate solution, relationships that immediately work, children that immediately behave. Good luck with that one. A workplace that immediately gels and finances that immediately grow. But the psalmist tells this in Psalm 27, 14. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So this is very different than what we talked about last week at the Red Sea. Whenever Moses, like we said, is having his Zen moment, just be patient. Just stand still. Just wait. And God's like, no, idiot, go. Go. It is time. There is a chariot coming. It is not time to wait. It's time to go. But as you know and you come to understand in your life, there are seasons of waiting. There are periods of time in which you know that you have needs. And when those needs aren't met on your timetable, exactly when you want them, God is sending you through a process. And that process is so important. Some of you are right in the middle of this process right now. Is this going to work out? What is the outcome of this going to be? What is the situation going to look like as we try to sell our home? Is my kid going to get into the college that they want to get into? And some which are much more serious. Where's our next meal coming from? How am I going to provide Christmas presents for my children? Individuals that are in a hospital bed right now that Dr. Hodges is very familiar with. Family members looking and and seeing their their, their loved ones on the verge of passing away. Some of you, this, this hits very, very close to home. It is difficult to trust God providing in some of these these really, really hard moments. But do you want to know what waiting is more than anything else? It's a process. It's a process. And do you want to know what the process often produces? And this is so important to our faith. A way to watch God provide. It makes the most sense whenever we're able to look and see the work that God has orchestrated in our lives because we trusted in his provision. Moses is in the early stages of watching God provide. But we also see that providing involves purpose. And this is really what brings the trust. And this is really what brings the growth. It's going to be the case with the Israelites as well. A few years ago, 
before I was employed at, at Destination Community Church, whenever I was first re-entering into ministry, I had the opportunity to preach just on occasion at the church, once, once a month, once every six, eight weeks, something like that. And I was also leading our small group ministry. My, my title was small group pastor, but I wasn't paid at that time. And I didn't want to be paid. I, I just wanted to learn. I wanted to grow. I was in a, in a situation where I felt like it was great to have the experience. But the board of directors uh, brought me before them, and they said, because of the work that you do, which is, which is a lot more than what a typical church volunteer would do, they said, we would like to give you a gift, a financial gift. And I said, okay. So they gave my family $3,500. It was, it was very generous, and it was completely unexpected. It was, it was out of nowhere. And I thought, this is incredible. We can do this. We can do that. We need to do this. Oh, I'd love to do this. I've been wanting to buy one of these for a while and still have it. We could do all these things. Then all of a sudden, our central heating and air system stops working. All right, we have a guy come over, which happens to be a guy that goes to the church, that works on HVAC systems. He actually owns his own company. He looks at it. Anybody want to guess how much it was to, to replace it? $3,500. I saw money go in one hand and money go out the other. Story of my life. But what would have happened? It was an example of God providing and we saw the purpose. We saw the work that he did. And through our faithfulness, he has provided again and again and again. Now look at your life. And I'm not talking about if you have a cultural form of Christianity. But if you are an authentic follower of Jesus, and you know that there have been crossroads moments, and I'm curious, have you had these moments? These crossroad moments where you had to make really, really hard decisions that were selfless decisions that were not what you saw as best. And you made those decisions, felt really strange at the time, but again, you look back six months Two years later, at the work that God has orchestrated over and over again. And when you can see the purpose, the trust becomes amazing. So considering the context of the Israelites and where they are with this purpose of providing, there are a couple things that I think will help you. The first is this. God can handle your complaining. All right? He's handled mine. And he's handled some of you in here for many, many years. God can handle your complaining. So when you go to God with frustration, when you go to God with questions, when you go to God with bitterness, talk to God about it. Hey, talk to God about it before you take it out on your spouse. Talk to God about it before your kids see it just, just everywhere within your system. Talk to God about it. So... so he can handle your complaining, but get this also, there is a time to stop complaining. Keep in mind that after the fifth and sixth occurrence, God starts to punish. And God is saying, at what point are you going to start trusting me? What does a form of this punishment look like? Moses goes up on the mountain. They start to complain. This is a little bit further in our story. This is Exodus 32. They erect a golden calf, an idol, and God is not happy. So listen to this right here. We complain because God doesn't work on our timeline. 
And then almost every single time, like the Israelites, we turn to idols. We turn to idols. Well, if God is not going to do this, if it's not going to work on my time, if it's not going to work this way, fine. I'm going to take my toys and I'm going to go home. We turn to idols, social media, busyness, drink, bad relationships, achievement, comparison, success, all of these things, these golden calves in our lives, whenever he doesn't work on our timetable. So this is what I want you to really get today. If you're unwilling to trust the process, and some of you are, because you need things on your timetable, you need them to work out your way. Well, well, God's supposed to be good. Why didn't he do this? That's what some of you are thinking right now. Well, God is supposed to work this way. Why didn't this happen the way that it was supposed to? If you are unwilling to trust the process, and you're unwilling to allow the purpose, your complaining will lead to a condition of bitterness. You ever know a miserable church person? That's not a trick question. You ever know people who leave the church because somebody hurt their feelings? You ever know people who leave the church over money issues? It's almost always other people because the pastor hurt their feelings. If you're unwilling to trust the process and you're unwilling to allow the purpose, you're complaining, I can promise you, is going to turn to a condition of bitterness. And guess what? There are people in this church right now, there are people in this room right now that are bitter. The greatest signs of wilderness bitterness, you know more than God. Some of you are convinced of that. You know, well, if God was smart, if God knew what he was doing, he would have done things this way. This doesn't make any sense. Why in the world are things happening this way? Some of you in here are convinced you, you, you know more than God. But number two, you're held captive by impatience. Some of you have no idea what the psalmist was talking about. Whenever he says, wait for the Lord. What about this? Idols become more appealing than worshiping the true God. So what do we do about this? What is it that we do about this? We walk through the process and we wait on the purpose. It involves courage and it involves patience. That the majority of people, including the Israelites at one point, simply did not have. We walk through the process and we wait on the purpose. I'm going to provide an example for you and we're going to close. Let's suppose that you're going through a difficult season of your marriage. If you do happen to be married or if you've been married before, okay? You're going through a difficult season of your marriage. We've all been there. And you want things to work out immediately. You want him to get over whatever it is that he needs to get over. You want her to get over whatever it is that she needs to get over so that you can go forward and be happy and not have to deal with the mess and the difficult things that you actually have to walk through, which we call the process. All right, so what do you do in that situation? This is what I want to suggest that you do. This marriage is just an example. Walk through every difficult moment patiently and slowly focusing on what it means to be a follower of Jesus instead 
of the pain of the circumstances that you have no control over whatsoever. You can't control your job situation. You can't control his or her bad attitude. You can't control the sin that invades your child's life. You can't control those things. But you can walk through the process. I promise you that if you are willing to walk forward in prayer, you are walking through the process. Now, again, this is where most people get lost. It's not working on my timetable. Therefore, God must not be good. Don't act like this is foreign to you. This is everyday life for so many of us. I don't care if you struggle with with depression and anxiety. I don't care if you've had difficult seasons at work, in marriage, with addiction, whatever it might be. You know that this is what it looks like. You get fed up because God is not coming through, and you back yourself away for an idol. Is exactly what we do. Instead, walk through the process. Don't focus on the pain of the circumstances. Focus on what it means to trust every single day. And that's the second point. Trust that he will provide. And here's the thing, that this provision may not look like what you thought it was supposed to look like. You know what's really hard for some followers of Jesus? When they realize when they're told that they were never intended to be successful in the business world. Whenever you tell a woman that's wanted to be a mother, a biological mother, since she was 12 years old, and she thought about that day, that she's never going to have her own biological children. Whenever you tell a person that's planted in East Tennessee that loves it so much, that he or she are supposed to move their family to another continent for the gospel. Whenever you tell a person that's thriving in their medical practice, thriving in their law practice, but they're supposed to give that up because they're supposed to go into ministry. A lot of times God providing has nothing to do with you getting what you want. And here, this is the best advice you're going to have. Forget about what you want. Forget about it. In fact, the walk doesn't even really start until you forget about what you want and you trust that he will provide every need that you have. And then the last part is the easiest part and it's the most rewarding part. Watch him unfold the purpose of the story. And when you do that, you are going to get something greater than anything else in this world you'll ever experience. And that is a closer and more intimate walk with him. What you're doing in that moment is you're just inching closer to heaven. You're just inching closer to the story of grace that nothing in your wildest dreams could have ever compared to. So before you tell yourself when you get that job, God provide, make it rain. Can't believe I just did that. Instead, look at the greater purpose of what God is doing in your midst. We come to trust God by looking back at the work he perfectly orchestrates over and over again. We have no knowledge or understanding of this without the process, 
and without the purpose. With all heads bowed this morning and all eyes closed. As I, was, as I was thinking about this last night in my time of, of, of study and prayer, the group of people that came to mind more than anyone are those who really struggle with the patience because the process and the purpose is, are both really, they're about a level of selfishness as well, but they're primarily about a lack of patience that God is going to provide. And the truth is, that when God doesn't provide the way that we expected him to, it can be very scary. Some of you are going through some difficult moments. Some of you are not going through difficult moments, but you're very hopeful about something that may be around the corner, a decision that you have to make, something that's critical in your life right now. But you're just having the hardest time turning this over to God. You're having the hardest time with the necessary patience to let the purpose unfold. And if that's you and you're in here this morning, I just want to pray for you if you would lift your hand. No one's looking around. Thank you very much. Anyone else in here? Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else in here? You need to trust God and not your plans. Father, we come to you uh, today asking that you move deeply in our hearts and in our lives. God, we ask as we are all waiting for something that we learn to trust on a deeper level what it means to take the things that we care about, our expectation of what blessing looks like, and simply place those things at your altar and walk away and forget that they ever existed. And Father, that we can take our hearts and our lives and we can take that gigantic, scary step into the unknown, trusting that you will provide. Jehovah Jireh, a man who is ready to give his own son. And the result is what Abraham learns through the process and through the purpose. We ask these things this morning in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.